everyone, and welcome to episode 274 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we got the full crew here this week, kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going today, Richard? Hey, Seth. How's it going? Uh, it is going well. We actually have a surprising number of topics to talk about today, but before we end all that, we have another co-host in Krim. What's up this week, Krim? Hey, Seth. Uh, you know, a lot going on, like you had mentioned, <laughs> like, so I'm pretty excited to talk about that. Yeah, so our overview for today, we're going to kick off uh, talking a little bit about Standard. We have Ikoria Standard, we're actually getting some deck lists, uh, all online of course, but we do have a lot of deck lists for Standard, so talk about Ikoria Standard. And then we have a bunch of smaller topics to jump around to, uh, they are sunsetting Planeswalker points, making some changes to how you actually like sign up for events, there was a big article about MTG Finance that came out in Wired this past week, uh, which is pretty interesting that we wanted to hit on. Maybe banning cards in Vintage came up, so we're going to kind of jump around a bit. And then, of course, uh, wrap up with Fish Mail. But before we get into all that, a reminder that our show today is once again brought to you by Spikes Academy. And Spikes Academy recently launched a new control course with Corey Burkhart, so if you'd like to make your opponent's life miserable with counter spells and card advantage, this is a perfect course for you. You can Check it out now over at SpikesAcademy.com and learn from the best players in the world. So thank you so much to Spikes Academy for supporting the show. And with our sponsorship stuff out of the way, let's talk some standard. So Ikoria's here. We've all been, I assume, playing standard. We have deck lists from standard. What is your guys' just initial reaction to our new standard format? Have you been enjoying it? What's been working out? Uh, let's talk some standard. Oh, it is, it has been wild. Uh, a, a standard meta that has, you know, like, like Loris was really popular in like cat decks. You know what I mean? And then randomly it's like, I think there were people that came to the realization that Loris is great, but it's probably not better than like Mayhem Devil. And so like, I don't know. I feel like the meta, the standard meta has been like just bouncing around. Right? Like it almost like evolves every three days. So, so let's, let's summarize what standard looks like. You got Jeskai Fires, the clear front runner, uh, of standard at 20% of the meta. Yeah. Uh, turns out you can just play Karuga for free. <laughs> like it doesn't affect your deck at all. And then, uh, you get like tri lands, which fix your mana. You can cycle to find more threats. Uh, yeah. deck is just really, really good. And then you have our old standby team of reclamation coming in at 8%. Rakdos Luris, 8%. Uh, Rakdos Sacrifice, like no companion. Yeah. And then Bant Ramp, running Lor uh, Yorian, Orzov Sacrifice, if you want to go uh, the Orzov route. Uh, you have Azorius Control. You have Jeskai Control. Uh, running Kahira sometimes. You have some of the spicier decks, Garuda Combo. Uh, but basically, the top end of the format is like, how do you beat Cat Oven? Uh, what do you do with Jeskai Fires and then like some control players trying to get in there and try to <laughs> out <outcome laughs> advantage these companions? <laughs> but I, I've, I've been playing Jeskai Fires and the deck is just like somehow like if you were to sit down from last season and you're like, I need to print cards in a standard to make my deck better. How can I do this? That's basically all that Coria. Somehow the deck just got upgraded in every facet and it's just really, really strong. Yeah, uh, and 
Mono Red is not on this list, which is uh, it's all the way down at like three. Playing aggro right now is a it's kind yeah of a, kind of a meme. Aggro and mid range is kind of a joke uh, yeah. against the the Lurus decks. Like you just cannot punch through like this wall of weenie blockers. They take your creatures. They sack them. You just cannot get through it at all. Like if I I sit down against a Mono Red player playing and I'm playing Lurus. It's like a five percent chance of losing or something. Like if you have like reasonable number of lands in your hand, like you're you're gonna win. So aggro is kind of just pushed out, and then it's like Luris to kill all the mid range decks, and then you have like the combo decks like Fires or Garuda trying to go over the top, and then Krim and Control there trying to police the format. <laughs> but <laughs> I won't lie, I mean, it's you can do it. It's been you, difficult. You, can do it. you just exile the Luris and like you know, you, like you could actually do it. The problem is like what it's always been teferi right like yep. the minute your fires opponent gets a teferi down you're like oh boy like my yeah. game plan is like severely hindered and but, like it sucks because yeah. like you can counter the fires the and like the teferi but then they'll just play like your counter spells are so situational because they're like all right well cavalier you know what i mean like oh well i do need to counter that <laughs> i I've seen some some people are playing uh, Yarion Fires builds, and I have yep. to say, if there's one thing that makes me saltier than my uh, Fires opponent always having Fires in their 60 card deck opening hand, it's my <laughs> 80 card deck Fires opponent still always having Fires. Like, how does that happen? How do they still always have it? Like, that, that shouldn't work that way. I play the 60 card version, and I still can't find my Fires. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> and I mulligan so, for it. So Wizards published some data from uh, the Magic Fest Online qualifiers last week, and they had fires up to 35% of the decks that actually got enough match points to like qualify for the, the weekly end of the week event. It is worth mentioning that there is kind of two different builds of fires people are playing. There's the more traditional like play your cavalier builds. And then there's like planeswalker heavy builds uh, that are also showing up. What do you think about fires in specific? Like uh, overall we have it at 20% on the meta. It was up to 35% in these qualifiers. Is that something where we're starting to worry that it's too good? I know, like, historically, once decks start to get up in that, like, 35 40% range, historically, that's where you start talking about, like, huh, if nothing changes, maybe you got to ban this just for the sake of diversity? Like, it's obviously super early in the format, but is there a concern about fires just being too good in standard? Or do you think it's just, it was already the best deck, it got new tools, everyone just immediately gravitated towards that, and something will unseat it as the best deck in the format before too long? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Like, so, so here's my approach to figuring out standard. I play an overpowered deck. I keep playing until I lose to something, and then I see, oh, well, that deck is actually pretty good against my deck. Let me try that deck. And then, you know, that's how I and then, you know, bounce around and you learn the format. I haven't lost with fires yet, so I don't know. I'm still yeah. on step one. <laughs> I do, I've been I'm sitting just like, here. like, oh, okay, like, what are you going to do? Like, you, it's like a combo deck where, like, most of the combo is, like, in your starting hand. Right, like all you gotta do is get the fires of invention. If you get the fires of invention, you'll cast Karuga and like regas your hand, so you're fine. So the only thing you need to worry about is getting that fires down. And between Teferi's, Sphinx of Foresight, London Mulligan, like you're 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 pretty much good to go. So I, I don't know. It seems pretty strong. I'm waiting for that deck to like totally destroy me, and I'm like, yes, that is the answer to fires, and I will play that deck. Uh, but I'm still waiting for it. Yeah, I feel like I don't know what that deck oh, is. 
<laughs> to be honest with you, it, it I, should be it should be control, right? But no. to very and like mystic dispute, just like screw it all up, right? Like, right. I I feel like Karuga is a really uh, like I feel like Karuga is clearly the card that really puts fires over the top because in the past, uh, if you you have to mulligan aggressively for fires. That's kind of what your deck wants to do. Like, fires is so important and so good in the deck that you mulligan for it, but then sometimes your fires opponent would lose because they don't have the action to back up the fires. Like, they, they play their fires and are like, uh, oh, brazen borrower. And you're like, yes, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> but with Karuga, that never happens. It's like having the blue cavalier in hand every game or something. So you can, you can afford to mulligan really aggressively because you know, worst case, you fires your Kruga absolute floor as you're drawing two cards. And it's often like three or four or five cards that you're getting with Kruga. So I feel like that really did uh, up the power level of that deck like immensely because now the odds of them actually like fizzling after they hit fires is incredibly low since you already always have that crew get to draw cards in hand yeah that's that's just the thing and like on top of that like you know like they could just also hit you with karuga right like kenneth cavalier like they already have at least five power in the wing right so they're just now waiting for any of their other hasters yeah i i think that's yeah i don't know i don't know what unseats uh that deck although i will say uh have either of you seen the cycling deck yes Yes. I actually think that that deck is, is really good against fires. I, I, I tend to always be fires with that deck. I don't know if it's like <gasps> a good matchup or if they're just like not prepared for it, but you know what's really good against someone having a fires and not being able to cast spells in your turn is just like throwing 10 or 20 damage at their face for four mana. <laughs> like it, yeah. it actually feels like that might be a good matchup, but I, I don't know if that. But I'm how do you sure Zenith Flare by turn five and kill someone? Because all, all I gotta do is like turn four, like fires turn four, play a creature, turn five, Karuga, play a Haster, and you're dead. So yep. you need to actually Zenith Flare me on that turn, which I don't know, that's a lot of cycling to get done to, to deal lethal. <laughs> Uh, that is, and, and stuff like Kenrith is definitely a problem. You can make a ton of chump blockers, so you can actually, like, stabilize the board really easily in the cycling deck. But, but if you have something like Kenrith <laughs> to trample over, then it, it does kind of ruin the entire plan. <laughs> I think the other big number from these qualifiers, uh, was 72% of the decks that got at least 15 points. So I think it's five and two, maybe that would be. Uh, 72% were companion decks. Uh, what do you think about companions in standard? I know we talked about them in older formats and kind of from a meta perspective, but in standard in specific, uh, most decks are companion decks. What has uh, your experience been with that? Do you like it? Do you dislike it? Uh, I, I've so far I've played with Kahira, right? Because you know, control decks have tried to play a free <laughs> one, and I thought it was everyone. I I do a, like agree. I, we, we've had this discussion before, but like that. Yes, the eighth card is sweet. But Kahira is just, for me, so far, a 3-2. Well, I mean, you're not playing any other creatures, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that is kind of by definition what it'll be in your creature-free control deck, Grim. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's the thing. Like, some people are like, that's insane, you have a free card. And, and like, yes, it is great to have a free card, but I don't know. Do you think do you think it's not worth it in in the control decks? Like, is there any is there any doubt in your mind that it's the correct choice? Like, is there any argument that like I'd rather just have like I don't know an extra wrath or uh, ether whatever in my sideboard? Like, do you think is there a chance that it's not worth the sideboard slot in a creature free control deck? I okay, 
I haven't felt like it, it's been worth it, right? But I do think that Yorion might be sweet, right? Like, Yorion has been the one that has at least been more beneficial for the control deck. Yeah, yeah. I've played against a lot of Yorion decks. Yeah, like, I've been playing Yorion Fires, but, like, Grixis Yorion Fires. I've tried, you know, like, like Yorion um, Abzan Foretold. Uh, you know, like, I, I've been doing, like, a little bit more of, like, those kind of decks. I was gonna say, Kahira is good in a vacuum if you're playing against, like, beatdown decks. Like, say, if Mono Red was, like, the entire metagame, Kahira would be amazing in a control deck. But because you're playing just basically all sorts of combo decks, like mid-range combo decks, sacrifice combo decks, like, the 3-mana three 3-2 three does basically nothing for you. So, yeah, it's just a product of the metagame. Yeah. But so my experience, so I, I've played two decks, Jeskai Fires and Rakdos Luros, and I actually really dislike the companions because I can't put my janky cards into my deck anymore. Like I'm like, okay, you know, here's standard Rakdos Luris, but you know, I'm a clever guy. Let me let me put in some spice to to show everyone, right? But I'm like, there's only so many like two CMC cards in the format, right? So you can't really just like add spicy cards to your deck because of the deck building restriction now Jeskai Fires is different because Karuga basically is no restriction uh, but I don't know the, the restriction kind of just makes it eh. and then when we're playing the three mana sorcery that reanimates uh, two creatures up to oh, yeah, CMC3 yeah. that's just effectively another Luris. I'm like I don't know man like these decks they're just so consistent and you can't like you, you can't even brew and like add your little spicy twist on them. So I actually got bored of the deck like really fast. And in, in addition to the fact that it's like such a pain to play on uh, arena, like sacking the cat all the time. <laughs> so I, I, I just go play fires and on turn four I win the game. It's like basically mono red, right? Like on turn four I win the game, <laughs> and then I just move on to my next one, get my daily quest in. <laughs> I think that's why I've built so many Yarion decks, is that's the companion that actually lets you add in those janky fun cards. It almost requires you to add in those it's janky fun more, cards. Right? So, <laughs> so, all, so all of my decks are just Yarion decks, if I can actually cast Yarion, and it seems to have mostly been working out. I do think it'll be interesting to see. Loris is a really good example, and we kind of hinted at this during the intro, Everyone went hardcore on these Luris Sacrifice decks uh, right after the set released, but now we've seen more recently, over the last few days, a shift away from Luris and back to, like, Mayhem Devils uh, and some of the cards that we had before. What do you think on that, Krim? Like, which of those builds do you think is actually going to prove itself to be the better Sacrifice deck? The one that, like, gets an eighth card in hand or the one that gets to play whatever cards they want? I'm I'm not going to lie to you. I think it's got to be the version that uh, has Mayhem Devil because that's always been the card that I've been more afraid of, right? Like, that's... It's because, like, that... Oh, cool. I I play... Like, it it feels bad when you, like, play your own Fabled Passage as your fourth land and then they have Mayhem Devil even. Like, I... I've noticed that too. Like, I am way more frightened of Mayhem Devil coming down on turn three out of that deck than I am of Luris coming down on turn three. Right. <laughs> I'm right. actually like, kind of relieved when it's Luris and not Mayhem Devil. Exactly. Like, I, I, I've gotten so used to Mayhem Devil that, like, it felt terrifying, right? I was like, oh, do they have Mayhem Devil? I'm like, oh, no, wait. They had Luris as their companion. I'm fine. What, what, what if it's Obosh and Mayhem Devil? <laughs> what if they get the eighth card <laughs> that doubles their Mayhem Devils? <laughs> uh, well, I, I have seen that, right? And that, that is another popular one i so i guess 
the figures like the other day I decided I would go cat hunting if you would I <laughs> I purposely put four Leyline of the Voids in my main deck and four Cry of the Carnarium and I just built an Orzov deck with like Canaros and I just although I never got paired against cat decks they got paired against two of them uh but yeah like I I think that for <laughs> for some odd reason Mayhem Devil and like Obosh, like like they them losing out on uh a few things out of the like because what did they lose out of even? The, oh yeah, they priest. lose priest. Yeah. Priest is like the is so good. Like priest is so good. Like in that yeah, deck, that is definitely the card uh, that I think I lose to most out of the Lurus stacks when they have turn two priest. I'm like, oh okay, I'm probably losing this. But when they don't draw a priest, their deck is like. You don't have good removal. Your creatures are all crappy. So uh, I think that that is the card that makes or break the Lurus builds, really. Yeah, like it was, it was really weird. Just like, like I, I don't know, like Obosh. I, I like it. I, I like it, but I don't. Is is Cat Deck the right deck for it? I've been messing around with uh, a obosh adventure deck you actually Ooh. because uh yeah like a jund adventure shell because you get like love struck beast you get bone crusher giant you get murderous rider so you actually like a lot of your spells kind of cheat on the restriction because you can cast them for less so your curve is actually relatively effective the big loss is you don't get to play uh lucky clover so you don't get to like double everything up but i think that i think that there is probably a home for obosh uh abosh whatever and then <laughs> speaking of <laughs> speaking of odds or evens, is Garuda just dead? Garuda was the, like, deck of the first weekend of the set, where everyone was like, oh my god, Garuda. And now, like, I never see Garuda anymore. Like, did people just figure out how to beat that deck and it's not a thing? Yeah, I, I, th- I think right now, like, it, it needs to adapt. Uh, because, like, you know what I mean? Like, the, the issues, the, the lists are already tight, right? To make it efficient, it's pretty tight. So if you, if you move things around to try to adapt, I think that it loses efficiency. So I I don't know I I feel like it's it's been solved right it went from from king of the hill to now like okay I'm glad I'm playing against Garuda yeah people are is... still playing Garuda it's not like you <laughs> yeah. know, in the last qualifier two days ago there's still a bunch of Garuda decks the the question is like do you play it mid rangey and fair uh if so how do you beat fires or do you try to like go for a combo kill in which case again are you faster than fires <laughs> so I, I i don't know how it matches up because I, I haven't actually played a guna deck period in all of standard uh but people are still playing it hasn't disappeared off the face of the earth yeah i feel like you gotta go i feel like it needs to adapt away from the combo i think people are so like caught up on like oh how can i maximize my odds of like winning when garuda resolves and people are like forgetting that it's a six six for six even if you like reanimate one or two creatures with that that's still a pretty decent deal so i feel like maybe i almost feel like garuda is going to be better as a main deck card than a companion where you don't have to deal with the the restriction and you have a lot more flexibility in what you play but uh, i i think garuda is still going to be a good card but i do think that the like all-in combo builds are pretty easy to hate out like yeah the, my experience with them is like you play a graph diggers cage and they lose or you play a mystical <laughs> dispute on garuda and they lose like they just it, it's like belcher or something where like yeah it's insane when you just like have two ramp spells and your opponent does nothing and you cast it on turn four but if your opponent does like even a tiny bit of interacting with you all of a sudden your entire deck is like pretty janky cards yeah well, yeah you play charming prince and elite guard mage and thassa and then you can play your Garuda, blink your Garuda if you want, blink your Charming Princes, go for a more mid-rangey Panormonicon-esque build, uh, as opposed to let's combo kill on six. 
I I think that is the way to go. I've been enjoying uh, Yarian decks. Uh, Yarian is my companion with Gruda in the main deck. I think that actually is a a pretty sweet way to build around it and take advantage of it with a lot of the same like shenanigans because they actually kind of interact pretty well. They interact well with each other. A lot of the creatures you want, like Charming Princes and Thassas, interact really well with Yarian too, and even Spark Doubles. So I think that there are fair ways to take advantage of it. But I do think the all in combo builds are pretty are pretty meh. You know what's funny about Yarion? The deck is like 30% more expensive than any other deck because you have all these extra cards and uh, they're obviously going to be rares and mythics. So on Arena, uh, you know, more wild cards in paper. It's just like more cards, more good cards. So the deck is actually like hitting like $600 almost, whereas like all the other decks are like $200, $300. So cost is actually a, an actual consideration when you think about Yarion and, and that deck size. I've noticed that too. Uh, I just played a Yarion modern deck and I was like, oh my goodness, this deck is so expensive. And then when you look at it, it's like, oh yeah, I need like 10 more lands and they're all rares and I need more fetch lands. And so it does really jack up the price quite a bit, which uh, is interesting. So... So do you, uh, overall, uh, are you happy where Standard is at right now? Have you been enjoying our first, what, couple weeks of Ikoria Standard format? I have. I, I Like, despite, like, you know, the crazy efficiency of, like, fires, all these decks, I've been enjoying it, uh, mostly just because, once again, I haven't seen Nyssa as much, right? Like, I haven't seen that much <laughs> Nyssa, and that makes me so happy. Uh, other than that, it's it's been pretty pretty fun but like the the decks like power levels have been kind of insane right like i i've i I don't think i've ever played such a i don't know a wild standard format like the mechanics everything and like the synergies are are kind of crazy yeah i i i'm okay on standard i feel like i'm playing the same standard except everyone just got an eighth card and like a super (laughs) mulligan like, your deck is, like, doing the same thing, right? It's the same cards you've seen, like, Teferi, Fires, True Nonissa, but the rest of the format looks the same. Uh, but everyone just has, like, you know, no one runs out of gas. Uh, everyone has, like, basically their game plan in their hand, and it's like, whoever can kill each other first wins, and that's it, right? Like, there's no, like, uh, you know, I can't find the last piece I need, or I mulled to four, I'm dead. Like, it's super consistent, and then whoever had the better deck coming into the match kind of just wins. So I just feel like I'm playing Fires with an extra card. <laughs> like, just literally. Yeah. But that extra card turns into, like, four extra cards, so it's, like, even better. <laughs> yeah. Fires with four extra cards. Yeah, that sounds pretty powerful. <laughs> yeah, I, I've enjoyed it as well. I think it's been fun. Uh, I still am a little, like... <sighs> skeptical if I'm going to feel that way like I'm a little co- afraid that the companions are going to be like Teferi and Nyssa were eventually a few months from now where I'm like <laughs> oh my god please rotate like come on come on get closer September <laughs> so I'm a little worried uh, about like the long term effects of it but honestly so far I have enjoyed playing with the companions and I have mostly enjoyed the standard format I do play against fires a lot but I don't know fires is while I do think it's the best deck in the format it hasn't felt oppressive to me in a way where I'm like 
miserable when I see my opponent playing a fire stack, like I have been against like some of the top decks in standards past. So uh, I'm kind of okay with where standard is at right now. Although definitely waiting to see how things will develop and what it'll be like. Uh, I guess worst case, everyone plays companions for the next like 17 months and then. You know, that was a fun, interesting thing. I don't know how much different that is than everyone playing Nissan Teferi for 17 months since War of the Spark released. It's probably probably not really that different, in all honesty, as far as standard is concerned. Yeah, the best feature of fires is when they win, you're dead. It's not like Cat Oven, where it's like, okay, they got the game in lock, but like 20 turns later, I'm dead. Or like even Nissa decks, like, you know, it's pretty much over, but they take a while to kill you. Like fires, you're done instantly and the, the match goes on. So I actually really like that as opposed to a kind of mid-range format where like the games just drag on and on and on. So I really hope Rakdos, Luros, and those kind of decks don't take off because you, you remember like the, the, uh, the cat decks with like trailer crumbs and yep, like, yep. you know you're dead, but they got to run their stupid loop and it takes like five <laughs> minutes per turn and then it still takes another five turns for them to kill you. So, uh, hopefully. They'll, they'll, they'll deal like a swift blow to us and finish us off quickly, whatever the tier one deck of standard is. <laughs> uh, all right, let's, uh, let's move on and hit some other topics here outside of standard with one of the, the big ones just coming up today being, uh, the sun setting of planeswalker points. Wizards uh, just posted an article this morning. Basically, the TLDR is, uh, planeswalker points and also DCI numbers are going away a month from today, I believe, May 27th. And instead, you're going to need a, a wizard's account to play in events, which if you play arena, you already have one. You had to create it for arena. So kind of tying everything together there, uh, which, uh, that part of the announcement I think is fine. I don't have any affinity for DCI numbers or Planeswalker points in specific. Like, I, I can get there some, like, historical value to DCI numbers. It's kind of like a traditional magic thing. The big thing, though, people are concerned about is Wizards also said, basically, as of May 27th, you will no longer be able to log in and see all of your match history attached to your DCI number. Uh, so, so kind of losing 25, 27 years of Magic's history to some extent. What do you guys think of this announcement about DCI numbers, Planeswalker points, and uh, how Wizards is handling this shift? I mean, I don't, I don't personally care too much except for the, yeah, mostly just the history of it. I do, I do feel pretty sad. I've memorized my DCI number. It just, it's felt like a phone number that I've always remembered. Uh, so like, yeah, like, cause that's how I chose to remember it. I entered it in my phone as a phone number and that's mostly it though. Like there, there, it's just, I guess the, the, the history behind it is, is kind of sad, but like, like to see it go, but eh. Yeah. I, I don't, so I don't understand the outrage. So I don't understand why they have to get rid of these numbers. Like why can't they just generate you a DCI number when you make an arena account and then you can use that in tournaments. But if you really care about your history, just like log into your account, download your history, take a screenshot, save it, whatever, and then you have your history, right? So I, I don't understand that outrage part of it, but I just, I just don't understand why they got to change the system. Like competitive magic has run on DCI numbers for so long. Like could they not merge it into your arena account so that, uh, you know, you can use either at an event or something like that? So I'm not really sure, but 
I mean, just go download your history if you care. I guess so. Part of the reason people are are kind of freaking out about it is there actually is no download function on the site, so you actually don't have an option to do that. I guess you could try to like do some sort of screen capture or something, but uh, I think there is a concern there of not being able to to look up uh, old performances. I think I've always thought that one of Magic's biggest competitive advantages is it has this, like, three decades of history that Hearthstone and all these other games don't have, and I think there's value to that. So I'm perfectly fine with the changes. I'm fine with getting rid of DCI numbers, getting rid of Planeswalker points, whatever. But I would love for there to be some sort of database or archive where you could go back and see like, oh, you know, in 2002, uh, Kai beat this person in a GP. Like, I think there is value to that. The same way that like in baseball, people debate like Babe Ruth from a hundred years ago versus Mike Trout. Like magic has that, which other games, similar games don't like you don't have that. And I feel like losing all of this old data of uh, magic's history, it could have a pretty detrimental effect in the long run. So I'm fine with the changes, but I, I think I would be much happier if there was some sort of archive or some way database to keep this 30 years of data uh, out there in the public for, you know, using in content, using in tournaments, uh, I think it adds value there as well. So I wish there was a way that the data could be saved mainly. So I'm sure like Finkel's match history will be preserved in one way or the other, but like, do we care about Krim's match history? Like that, that is the question, right? Like, should that be preserved? Like, cause I'm sure if you needed to know who won Pro Tour X or what did Swiss look like in tournament you know, big tournament X, you'll, you'll find it, right? But I don't know, like random Joe Schmo, do we need their history? Like it's good for the person personally, right? But as a community, do we do we need to preserve it? But what if what if Krim ends up being the next Finkel and we want to debate? <laughs> Krim I'll, first Finkel a few I'll years have you now. know, I had <laughs> like five pro points. Uh, <laughs> I'm on my way. I do say uh, to the positives of this is I do like how it kind of ties everything together. Like the wizards account will uh, be what you use to sign up for paper tournaments, what you sign up for arena tournaments, presumably magic online tournaments. So it kind of can tie everything together and potentially allow for a lot more crossover. That's kind of missing since the digital clients don't use DCI numbers, but paper does like being able to combine that together. I could see some cool applications for uh, kind of mashing that together, having crossover promotions uh, in products between digital and paper that weren't as possible with the DCI number system. Wait, Seth, do you have a DCI number? I do. I don't think I've ever used it. <laughs> is, it is it one of those like the judge wrote on a piece of paper for you and like gave it to you the one time you went to a paper event? Yes, it is exactly that. I keep it in my my deck box. I have no idea what it is, so I have to pull the card out if I ever want to sign up for anything because I have no idea what my DCI number is. <laughs> I, I've I've lost that card, like because I got in like seventh grade or something like that. So oh wow, like how many digits is your DCI number? Like two? <laughs> no, 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 that no. That was no, pretty no. old. No, no, no. <laughs> it's still like seven numbers. It was perfectly. Oh enough. wow, it was perfectly yeah. enough digits just to be a phone number. Hmm. I, 
Actually, I, I think I have like several DCI numbers, as weird as that sounds, because when I didn't know wow, any better shark. and I first No, when I first started when I first started going to like pre releases, the local game store I went to, uh, they would they would ask for your DCI number and I'd be like, I, I don't know what that is and they'd be like, Oh no, that's fine, we'll just like make you a new one. So for like several pre releases in a row and I didn't know that that was actually like now I know that was probably a sketchy thing where they were trying to like up their number of new players or something, but at the time I was like, I, I don't know what a DCI number is, sure, whatever. Like, give me a new one. That's fine. That's that story. The real story is he got banned from like every store. He had to keep going around getting new DCI numbers. <laughs> That's like the VH1 behind the behind the cards. <laughs> oh, I might make a fun YouTube video actually. Anyway, let's let's move on. We have other topics to get to today, with one of them being this huge wired article about uh, MTG Finance. So it's called The Stockbrokers of Magic the Gathering Play for Keeps. Did either of you uh, manage to uh, read this article? Yep. Read the whole thing. It was pretty <laughs> long, actually. It, it is It is very long. What did, what did you think of it? So, I mean... On one hand, it is kind of an overview of the the financial aspect to the game, comparing it to, like, the stock market. On the other hand, there were some interesting, I thought, tidbits in there that kind of brought up some stuff the community had been wondering about. But what was uh, what was your takeaway from this article, Richard? I really disliked it. So I, I liked it in the sense that it gave a good overview of kind of magic. Like, so it, it's made for not magic players, right? So it kind of, like, drops in... You know, how the game works, like the kind of financials behind it, Black Lotus price, things like that. But it portrays everyone as like, like it's kind of like a upstart underdog or something, right? Like they figure out a way to like game the system and to, to make money off of it or something like that, right? Where, uh, the, the, you know, the thing where Magic Players interested in it is it talks about how MTG finance community knew about Pioneer before Pioneer was released. And then they portray the two characters as kind of like these like, you know, these like hackers that figured it out and like figured out the system. Right. And I, I don't know. I just really rubbed me the wrong way. If you were just reading this without knowing anything, you would just think, like, oh, these are some like, you know, cool guys like making a buck at no one's expense. Where the reality of it is like, you know, it really unfairly increased the price for a lot of players. And, you know, the shady manipulations of prices behind the scenes in this unregulated market is perfectly legal. But, you know, the question is, should that actually, you know, maybe it's like legally legal. Is that even a word? Like, you know, it's legal, <laughs> but is it moral, right? Like, you know, th there's like a lot of hard hitting issues, like as magic players, that we take offense to this, but like it was kind of just glossed over and thought of as like, you know, here's some cool guys making money off this thing you didn't know existed and they make lots of money. So I, I didn't appreciate that spin on it, but you know, other than that, like, I don't know, it's like a pretty good article for people who haven't played magic and just want to know like, Hey, you know, this game still exists. Uh, cards are worth a lot of money. You can make a lot of money with cards. So in that sense, it's fine, but I just didn't like the spin on it. It, it did kind of portray a lot of the key players as like uh, entrepreneurs that are, you know, just, you know, doing like kind of like a like a startup. Like they started something and they made a bunch of money and everyone, you know, should be okay with that. But I think for me, the big takeaway is it did confirm what had been uh, rumored and talked about about the, the Pioneer leaks uh, and how that actually... That did happen. There's no, it's not a conspiracy theory. There's no, oh, this didn't happen. Like, it's in black and white. It was, uh, it was known about ahead of time by at least parts of the finance community. And 
they did act on it and bought a bunch of cards. So I, I feel like one of the, th- whenever you bring up stuff like this, like on social media, like, oh, like, is something, you know, unsavory going on with this spike, this buyout? One of the big responses from a lot of the, the finance community is, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. Stop with your conspiracy theories. Well, this, I think, pretty clearly shows that it's not a conspiracy theory and this stuff does actually happen and people make lots of money on it and it does hurt the community. Like, I, I think you're very right that that's something that was missing is the the negative impact of the kid that wants to build a pioneer deck and has to pay three times as much for some of the staples because you know the finance community got this information early and acted on it and bought out a bunch of cards so i I would recommend reading it if you haven't read it yet i think it is it is interesting enough to uh to read even as a magic player although i do agree with you that it did kind of paint everyone i thought in a pretty positive light when from my perspective as a magic player, some of the action seemed pretty sketchy to me. Anyway, I guess that's all for our, our financial stuff. What other topics do we have before fish mail? Oh, uh, yeah, Marrow. Uh, almost missed this one. Actually, two, two more topics and then fish mail. One is someone asked Mark Rosewater about companions in vintage, uh, because companions, you only play them as one of anyway. Vintage uses a restricted list rather than a ban list. And Mark Rosewater confirmed that they can ban cards in vintage. Uh, so do you think there's any chance we have for the first time ever? A, a banning in vintage based on companions i mean so okay so this is interesting news because like okay of course cards can get banned but in vintage cards are usually not banned they They're are restricted. restricted yeah uh in the case of companions restricting them doesn't make any sense because it doesn't <laughs> do anything however we do have banned cards in vintage right we have like the anti cards the dexterity cards things like that so this is not like totally unprecedented um but I- if they were to ban a new card you know that that you know they haven't banned a card for like millions of years so yeah but i i i don't know i feel they they will probably exercise that if they need to like this is not like some taboo where they're like okay this is like a format where you can play any card that you ever want to play they're like if this card breaks the format they will ban it and then you know morrow confirmed it so if we think companions are a problem in vintage it will go away yeah, I think the the big deal uh, here is I don't think there's any cards in Vintage that are banned for power level reasons. There's like anti-cards are banned because of gambling. Dexterity cards are banned because that's not how modern magic works. Uh, but I don't think there's has ever been a card that is banned because of power level. Instead, it's just restricted. So it would, while there is precedent to cards being banned, uh, cards being banned for power level reasons would be something new to Vintage uh, that we haven't seen before. Uh, but companions are, they're unique because you only play them as a one of anyway by definition if they're your companion like you can only play it as one of so restricting it does literally nothing so it'll be interesting to see i know companions from talking to uh, vintage players have really kind of taken over the format there and have been a huge huge deal in the format so it'll be interesting to see how uh quickly uh, action might be taken in formats like vintage or legacy in regards to uh, specifically loris i think is a big one but companions in general how loud is the community complaining? Because I feel that's what drives the banning. <laughs> like Wizards already has said, like they don't really test these older formats. They have limited time. So I feel like community feedback is actually a pretty big driver in what they do with these older formats. So if everyone is complaining and moaning about companions, they'll probably go. But if people are like, oh, okay, you know, it changes vintage, but I'm okay with it, then they'll stay. So it just depends on how loud the community is complaining, I think. 
And Wizards has been upfront about that. I think before uh, last Eternal Weekend, they literally just asked on social media, like, hey, <laughs> what do you all want banned in Vintage before your big tournament for the year? And oh, uh, <laughs> so, so they do definitely listen to feedback, especially for those older formats that they don't test for. Uh, the other big piece of news is we got another secret layer dropped, uh, drop announced. Uh, Richard, what, uh, what is our newest secret layer? All right, we got Secret Lair Godzilla Lands. So these are actually leaked a while back. They're confirmed. So you have basic lands with Godzilla on them. The mountain looks really cool. Um, price was $30, uh, I think? 30 yeah. $30, 30. Uh, for a set of five lands. I mean, these these lands look amazing. I, I, I'm always excited for these cool lands, <laughs> especially if they have Godzilla on them. So... These these are pretty sweet. Yeah, they they are foil, and you can order up to fifteen of them, which is a, a slight increase over the last one. And I, I I have two kind of big thoughts on this. One is, um, last time they did a foil land drop, the snow covered basic lands. I thought it was going to be like the least valuable of the initial run of secret layer drops, and then in the end, uh, it actually was the most valuable. If you look back on it today, that was the one that we would have gotten the most excess value if you had just purchased it. So I actually think these are going to offer pretty good value based on what we've seen with land drops in the past. Uh, Another is, I've heard a lot of complaints about this, uh, five lands for $30, lots of whining and complaining. I feel like this is exactly how we want wizards to monetize magic. Almost exactly like Magic Arena. Like, charge a ton of money for, you know, the cosmetics to get the cool basic lands. That's fine. Like, if you want planes for your deck, you can get them for literally free as draft shaft or from some box at your local game store. Like, they cost zero dollars. So I feel like this is, rather than complaining about this, I feel like we should be like, yeah, wizards, this is how, you know, this is the best way for you to monetize things like secret layers because there are super cheap or even free versions available for players you don't need to buy these compared to something like fetch lands where uh players do need those to be cheaper to be able to play the game so uh, i've been a little bit disappointed with the negative reaction to this uh because i feel like this is exactly how we want wizards to monetize secret layers so logically what you said makes a lot of sense however instinctively they rub me the long the, the wrong way still, even after you've explained that. And I think the problem is like, where's our free stuff, right? Like if Wizards wants to like make, you know, money off of the whales, like where's their sacrifice being returned to us? Where am I like cheap fetch lands, right? What I'm getting is like expensive fetch lands followed by expensive basics. And then like, where's the bone that I'm supposed to get thrown, right? So I think that's why it's rubbing me the wrong way. Like, yeah, someone, someone can buy these lands that they want, but like, Where's the good stuff for me? Like where 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 are my like standard set fetch lands, right? Or where where's my fetch land reprints in like a commonly open set, right? So I, I think that's why. People are just like, why do they waste this time making more basic lands? Like I just want cheap cards instead of expensive premium cards, which someone may like, but I don't, right? So where's my product? And and I I can see that. I I can see that argument as well. I guess my answer would be we have it like mystery boosters reprint a lot of cards and we're really high value and we're sold pretty cheaply compared to like master sets and stuff so i i feel like if you look at it there are products for people like that we have jumpstart 
uh, coming up in a little bit, which will presumably be another product along those lines. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm kind of reached a point where I feel like people will just never be happy with secret layers. Like you, you reprint fetch lands, people get mad. You reprint basic lands, people get mad. Like how does wizards win if no matter? Cause I feel like this is, I feel like that the complaints about this drop, the basic land drop is basically the exact opposite of the complaints about fetch lands. People are like, Oh, we don't want these expensive cards at expensive prices. That's not what this should be about. We need those reprinted. So wizards goes the exact opposite and reprints cards that are literally free and people will still get upset about it. So uh, I don't know. Will either of you buy these? Uh, you know, I, I think I would consider it because I do really like the Godzilla Island. Like the Godzilla Island is sweet <laughs> watching him walk through the water. But, uh, I, I don't know. I, if, if, if secret layers are going to be coming out as much as they are, I do kind of want to hold out for something a little more than just lands, unless they're fetch lands. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not a savage like Krim. I don't play mismatched lands, so like I'm not buying <laughs> ten of these things. Right? That's ridiculous, right? Yeah, I only buy one, even if I did, right? So, <laughs> like, yeah, like I, I think a lot of people are upset about that too. Like, who plays mismatched lands? Like, come on, right? Like, we gotta spend a lot of money to get a set of these. So at least Wizards put that into consideration with the fact that you can buy so many of them, but. You know, it's it's pretty expensive to to complete your deck. You're gonna have to go mismatch basics. Yeah, I mean, if you got the 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 max fifteen, that's four hundred and fifty dollars to get a bunch of basic lands. That is that is a steep price. Like I'm sure there's a bling be... deck, you gotta you gotta <laughs> go over the bling, man. Oh, that that is true. And like I said, I am fine with these, but me personally, I, I'll just play my Mirage basics or whatever. For me, I don't think any basic land is worth worth that price uh personally like that's that's just way too much money to actually build a deck with those cards i think anyway we got a few minutes left richard uh let's answer some fish mail this week uh, before you run out of time all right if you have questions send them to at mtg goldfish with the hashtag mtg fish mail and we'll get to your questions on air from jonathan g quick question about what you think will happen with Companions long-term when it comes to reprints, pricing, and availability. If Companions remain as ubiquitous as they are now, will they become a format staple for all formats? How do you think Wizards will handle the ongoing demand this will generate, especially if Companion remains an Ikoria-only keyword? I think this is a really interesting question. It's something that's been coming up on social media with people debating... What do you do about companions? Do you print more of them? Do you try to like increase the number to have there be more diversity? Do you get rid of these ones? I lean on the side that I think these cards will, if they stay like they are now, I would not be surprised to see them getting banned in older formats. And then they just like live out their time in standard. Uh, and then they rotate eventually. I think the plan of continuing to print companions every set to try to make enough that there's diversity within companions. I think that is a a bad direction to head, especially since Wizards said from the beginning, there's not much design space here. It was hard to even get enough design space to make this cycle of 10 of them. So I don't think it's something where you can just have hundreds of companions running around eventually. Like, I don't think there's enough design space to make that possible. And I don't think we'd actually want that anyway. At least I wouldn't. I, I like, I am on the other side of that where I think it would be cool to see just one more cycle but i hope it like it's not more than like i don't want it to be like in every set right i just want maybe at most like another cycle of companions to see what else there is but yeah like it probably gets pretty difficult design space wise right like what what else can you do 
And, uh, but yeah, if I, if I saw just one more cycle, that'd be cool. Uh, that's my overall opinion on it. But, uh, yeah, just, I don't want it in every set. Yeah. I, I think we're all scared because companions have like a big impact across all of magic and, you know, we're afraid of change. You're like, oh my God. Right. But what if companions are good for magic? Like, what if this gets rid of mana screw? Right. Or like, you know, I guess it'd be mana flood. Right. But like, you know, one of the biggest complaints about magic is like RNG and at least in Hearthstone, you can use your hero power to kind of smooth out your curve. Uh, In magic, you kind of just do nothing and die. So what if companions was the fix to that? Right. That it made games more consistent and that they become a feature of the game. And maybe in the future, Wizards prints only companions and Standard Ooh. becomes basically commander, right? <laughs> Where you always have this extra card in the in the zone to cast as a way of fixing kind of RNG and mana screw. So it, it could happen, right? I, uh, I could see a I, multi I don't know. We got to see the data. So <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you, Richard. Uh, earlier, you mentioned every game kind of feeling the same and being super consistent. Do you think that would be a good thing? Like, sure, maybe this fixes mana screw. Do you think you'll still find it interesting to keep playing Magic two years from now, five years from now, if you still have the feeling that every game kind of plays out the same? Because, you know, London Mulligans, you get a companion in hand, everyone's got everything they need all the time. Like, do, will that keep people's interest long term if the, if there isn't that variance in Magic? I, I like the variance in Magic, but I also like Wasteland and Strip Mine and things <laughs> like that. So it's going to depend on what the majority of players like. And I... I, I do see a problem with like inconsistency though, right? So would you rather have something be totally consistent or just be inconsistent like 10, 20% of the time where you have a non-game? That, so I, I don't know. Like for standard and limited, I would much rather have a companion than a non-game. In like modern and pioneer, like the consistently the consistency just leads to degeneracy like too much, right? So I don't like it there. But for limited or standard, I think it's it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, I I like it in standard, uh, because I don't feel like there's a problem with consistency in in modern. There's enough cards, and as more cards get printed, the last thing modern needs is more consistency. I, I joked about this on Twitter, but uh, maybe we really do need like standard horizons. Like, if we need to keep printing <laughs> companions, maybe we what? just don't make them. Maybe we don't make them legal in older formats. Like, if they're if they're great for standard, but killing modern legacy vintage pioneer. Maybe you just are like, okay, like like they did with uh, Lutri, where we're like, all right, we're printing this. We know it's going to be banned in Commander because it's horrible for that format, but we wanted to print it anyway. Like, maybe you just keep printing them and, you know, don't allow them in non-standard formats. Things that would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> standard you know these formats that are designed to keep you playing your cards after they rotate from standard? Well, no, you're not allowed. <laughs> People would be, vi- oh man, can you imagine how angry people would get over that? Like, if, if they're, if they're upset about, like, if, if we were just talking about how, like, everything makes the magic community mad, standard horizons would send people through the roof. <laughs> oh, that would have been a hilarious April Fool's Day. Yeah. Why did you come up with this idea, like, 30 days ago? Oh, this we would didn't have been hilarious. We didn't have companions 30 days ago. They came just too late, I think. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right, next up, Cameron J. Thacker. Have MTG bans gotten out of control? It seems every set causes huge problems and, quotes needs a ban. 
some before even they are released, are things actually broken or is culture shifted to simply label something as such and call for a ban? Uh, I, I think that it's it's a, definitely a, a cultural shifting. Like, there, there's before, like, I, I'm not going to say that all these, uh, like, asks for bannings are, un, like, unjustified. But, like, before, I mean, also, like, people just weren't, like, what, like, as vocal about it? Like, Twitter, MTG Twitter, right? Like, stuff like that. And just overall, like, all the ways of, like, people have been able to talk about, like, you know, bannings over media have, they haven't always been there, right? Like, I mean, like, during, like, Cobblade, for example, like, I, I'm sure, like, Twitter would have blown up then, right? But back then, there wasn't as much MTG Twitter, right? There wasn't as much, uh, like, just social media and all of that. I think it goes both ways. Like, I do agree with you that there's more social media, people are louder about it, and I do think there's be- <sighs> bannings kind of keep the conversation going the more bannings there are the more the expectation is that things will be uh, be banned but i also think it comes from the other side as well where i feel like wizards has changed their design philosophy and they're printing cards that they would not have printed five years ago like i don't think that underworld breach for example or companions there's even been articles where wizards like hey we wouldn't do a mechanic like companion because it's too busted and it takes away too much variance from the game so i feel like wizards has changed their design philosophy and is printing more cards that are of a power level where they need to be banned but i think I think that, so I think it goes both ways. People are Agreed. louder. There's more social media. At the same time, Wizards is really pushing the envelope as far as power level, which makes it easier to miss high and have Okos and uh, Once Upon a Times and so forth that I don't think anyone or many people would argue that something like Ogo, uh, Oko had to go. Like, I think that's just like black and white. There's not really any debate about it. So I think it goes, I think it goes both ways in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. Uh, Duck Oat. For non-competitive five-color EDH, is the ability to fetch a land to fix your mana more important than having a land that comes into play untapped? Seriously considering fetch dual triome when the cycle is completed, is preferable to fetch dual shock? In Commander, uh, I would say yes. I, I love the triomes in Commander, uh, and I think that fetch dual triome would probably be the way to go. I'm pretty accepting of a few of a few tap lands in my commander deck. Obviously, it depends a little bit on power level. Like, if you're playing CDH, uh, that's probably not true. But for the power level that we play, I would go with Triomes, I think. I love Triomes, so I, I think they're they're great. And I, I would play them in, in any deck that I can. Yeah, I mean, I usually just play the straight three-color tap lands and five-color. Yeah. Like, you know, because yeah. you, you have five colors, right? You actually need all your colors. So playing a couple Triomes, I think, uh, is ideal. Uh, Flying Zebra, regarding CDH, don't think of it as its own format, but an approach to EDH where you ask, how can it win as consistently as possible given the EDH ban list? This is especially relevant when it comes to sanctioned FNM buy-in matches for EDH. <sighs> what do you guys think about not splitting? Like these two things are actually the same thing and it's just a different kind of mindset. I think that's what makes them a different thing. I feel like the philosophy is different uh, so in my mind, that's exactly what makes them two different formats, uh, rather than being an argument for them being the same format. The, the commander philosophy of like, everyone have fun, interactive game with your friends compared to, I want to win as consistently and quickly as possible. To me, that is, uh, enough to make it two different formats, but that's just my personal take on it. Yeah. I, I, I still see it as two separate formats, right? Like, I mean, I mean, yeah, technically it's all under the, the same, the same 
umbrella term of like you know edh or whatever but like the the thing here is i think i it just the vibe of it is way different right like it is i don't know i mean i personally feel like it's just i i can't see it as as one format yeah uh next up only way do you think companion could be fixed by changing the rules so that you're starting maximum hand size is reduced by one if you have a companion uh so you'd have a six card starting hand plus companion oh so you're starting and maximum hand size so what if we took away the free card aspect of it but just put it in your hand so we like mulliganed and we handpicked one card to be in our hand <laughs> yeah Basically. i mean the, the cost is like you're, you're down a card or well you're down a card compared to what it currently is <laughs> but really it's just replacing a card in your hand with your companion i think that would make <laughs> companions fairer essentially that seems a know. little complicated though right well no, no. i mean the, the rule is just you have a six card hand <laughs> right 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 a seven card hand i think but, the way like jim davis put it was like you draw your seven card opening hand and then if you have your companion you can exile a card from your hand and basically you replace that card with your companion was his suggestion for doing something similar if that makes it sound simpler maybe oh you get to mulligan this i think this one was just like draw six that is yeah <laughs> yeah that is that i think that's what that suggestion was <sighs> i don't know I think it would power them down. Whether that's a good idea or not, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I like the idea of just drawing six. Uh, the mulliganing, like like how Jim Davis put it, is is better, right? But like, I don't know. I I think they're fine now. <laughs> I don't oh. know. Like I I think they're fine now. But <laughs> so of things that are not fine in standard, Carnage Tyrant. Yeah, <laughs> but companions perfectly. If fine. they made Carnage Tyrant a companion, then maybe I'd be a little more upset. But like, like right now, I, I don't know. I mean, I think everything. It, like, I've really enjoyed like these companions. I don't know. I, I guess, I know that I I'm in the minority here, but I I really like them. I think they're fun. I I do say what I like about companions is your mulligan decision is a lot easier. Because you see what the other person is playing, so you can yeah. just mull. <laughs> and, and it's 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 nice to know, like, yeah, hey, okay, I'm playing against this. Of course, if you see Kahira, you never know. That could be a control deck, or it could be the Grohl deck that's been going around. But, like, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I like Companions. I think they're pretty sweet. I also like Companions in Standard, but... Uh, and I have had fun playing them in other formats, but I also believe they're, like a huge negative for older formats while i do think they are like really fun and standard at least so far yeah i haven't i haven't gotten i haven't played like legacy or anything like that right so i've i've only played like pioneer and like modern that's about as far back as i go but is that is that a problem i mean like remember when delver or in snapcaster major printed like it basically fundamentally changed all the older formats so is it okay that companions are the new you know, Snapcaster and Delver or, you know, yeah. Fatal Push basically changed all of modern, like, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's totally <laughs> is, fine. Is that a problem? I, but I, I feel the problem is more of the birthing pod problem where it's okay that it's in all the meta, but like it affects like every card coming forward, right? Like you can't print another, let's say Mishra's Bobble or something, right? <laughs> like, oh, it'll, it'll, it'll make Lurus decks too good, right? Like I think maybe like that birthing pod problem is more of a concern rather than metagame defining i think my concern is just diversity i think what makes older formats for me is the fact that you have so many playable decks and i think my big concern is if companions remain as 
powerful as they are that I think that just eliminates like tons of decks from a format like modern if you have to have a companion to have a chance of being competitive kind of like what you talked about in standard like I can't play my janky cards anymore you might see the same thing on like a deck level if you just have to have that eighth card in hand to compete where tons of decks just aren't a thing anymore because they can't run a companion all right last question Desi Nohei what do you think is the better deck traditional big jund or newer lurus jund well, that's a Richard question. Wait, wait, I haven't even seen this deck. Someone tell me, is it legit? <laughs> like, how do you Some, play without lilies? Someone, is this a deck? Someone 5-0'd with it. They did, yeah. Um, it's just, like, goifs and oozes and bobs and then a whole bunch of spells along with uh, with Luris. But you don't have so any white, of the Planeswalkers or Blood Braids. Like, what is... We're kind of <laughs> like, like Jund, Jund Weenie, essentially. <laughs> I mean, it sounds pretty cool, right? Like, we were talking about it. This is... Yeah, we remember we were talking about it that Richard was just like, uh, I don't know if I could live without Lily, but I, I think there's a world where you could definitely live without Lily. There's a lot of these decks. Apparently, this is, uh, ah, but it's not Jund. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's just the newer Jund, right? Like, there's if- like zero disruption. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I guess you still, I don't know. It depends. Hmm. I mean, I'm gonna try it. I it's, like this I feel, idea. This so feels too board. cute. Is drawing an extra card every turn with Bobble as good as making your opponent discard every turn with the Liana? It might be. So, so, so I personally am. So here we go. But it all comes back to red and six. This is another <laughs> yeah. red and six thing, right? My goal is not to drag the game out by drawing more cards, which is exactly what Luris is doing. Right. My goal is to kill you by turn four because of all the unfair decks in modern. If I just sit there and draw more fatal pushes, you're just going to Karn me or Urza me or something. So instinctively, I don't like this deck because it does not help me complete. Like Liliana gives you a pretty good time frame, right? Like if they're not already dead by turn four or five, when she goes ultimate, they're super dead, right? And if you don't accomplish it by then, the game is over anyway. It doesn't matter how many cards you're going to draw. So I don't I, think it's going to work, but I'll, I'll play it and I'll this, let you guys know. That- this is this is the chance for Chundam out with Richard. This is it, Richard. You have to fire up a league with this deck, record it, and we'll put it on the YouTube channel. Your first <laughs> your first take with Laura's Judd. Just your like initial reaction to playing it. This oh, is the time. A conflict of interest. Do I want it to go O five and see how bad Loris is, or do I want a five O and be wrong? <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I I I'm even like trying, like I'd like to try the Grixis Luris version, <laughs> like so, like you get to play Snapcasters and like whatnot. So I, I don't know. I mean, this seems pretty cool. But I, I've, I'm laughing at the idea of Burn having like Luris though, because it's insane. How- oh yeah. my goodness, I lose to that. The new version Wait, of Burn is so you, you just like loop bobbles with Luris. Is that it's like Burn that gets to draw an extra card every turn, and you know yeah. the one thing that makes <laughs> the one thing we always is running out of cards. <laughs> That's true. You got to keep removal in just for Loris, and you don't want removal against Burn. Yeah, it's I. I always lose to Loris Burn. I've played it like two or three times, and I just get crushed no matter what I'm playing. Yeah, Loris. Right, you guys have convinced me. I've, I've had enough Jeskai fires as standard. I'll I'll play the older formats this week to see uh, how rampant these companions are. But Richard, <laughs> once again, Loris and Kroxa in Jund. How is that not appealing? It's. So slow. I'd rather, like, how about Liliana and Kroxa and Jund? <laughs> like, <laughs> but consistently. 
You know, like, to- I've never played a game in Jund where I'm like, wow, this guy just grinded me out. I'm out of cards and I died. It's more like, wow, I thought seized you like four times and you somehow top decked the game winning answer and killed me anyway. <laughs> right? Like, so yeah, but- to me, like, you got to kill him fast. Kroxa does that. There's three damage attached to that discard if they don't throw it like a non-land. That, that is true, but you can play Kroxa without Luris. But consistently. And every turn. Every turn. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll try it. I'll try it. I don't know. I, okay. I don't know. I'll yeah, try it. Like, like <laughs> I'll path, try to see how it goes. <laughs> path to Exile seems so good right now because like you need to, right? Because like Coligan's Command. Yep. Oh yeah, you can Coligan's Command back the lures to keep going. Yeah. All right. All right. Maybe I'll maybe I'll be a believer next week and then I'll, <laughs> I'll play Orzov Jund. We expect a full report. <laughs> we, we expect a full report next podcast. All right. All right. I'll try it. But I still get to play Boil, right? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you still can play Boil for some odd reason. Because Mystic Sanctuary is still a card that made me quit <laughs> modern. So that is not. A, it's not a real concern. Oh, it definitely is. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone who sent in their questions. Thank you, Desi Nohe, who's given me some homework for this week. Uh, if you have questions, send them to at Goldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that brings us to the end of episode 274 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard Cripp, thanks for hanging out. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Spikes Academy for supporting the show. And we'll be back next week to talk about whatever goes down in the world of magic. So, until then, this is the crew signing out. Thank you.